So guys, um, let's just quick open with prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth today be the words that you want spoken. I ask for a blessing upon this entire congregation in Jesus' name. So the title that I chose for our message today is The Power of Prayer. And I don't think that that was a coincidence because church leadership has asked us to read a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Promise Keepers Men's Group has, has just completed a book called Christ Key, and then we've been working into the Core 52 book. And guys, the number of parallels that I have seen in those three books has been crazy. And so the basis for my message today really comes from those three books. There's another book that I really have strong emotional attachment to. is one called Ian Bounds' Book on Prayer. But today I want to talk just a little bit. Very quickly, I want to talk about the history of the prayer team. And I'm going to go clear back to Calvary. So Calvary and Crossroads. And so in the mid-1980s... Um, Calvary was actually a fairly small, struggling church. And at some point, the leadership team made a recommendation that those on consistory would actually go to a large church in Chicago called Willow Creek. We went there to get inspiration. We, we went there to get teaching, just to trying to figure out some things that we might do back at our little bitty church on the south side of Des Moines. And for some reason, when we got into the thing, there was a breakout session board, and I went to the one that said prayer. No idea why, I just chose prayer. And so I get into this classroom, and there was a book there called Too Busy Not to Pray. It was written by a man by the name of Bill Hybels. So I got that book, went through that book multiple times, and then the other thing that they recommended was doing a prayer journal. Had no clue about what that was or what that meant. And so I picked up a thing called a personal growth notebook. And in that notebook, they actually had a Bible reading plan for how to study the Bible in relationship to prayer. And so I started doing that. And in that prayer growth notebook, they had these little prayer sheets and on the sheet, it had on one side, it was list your request. And then on the other side, it said, what's God's answer? And I went back and I started looking at that. And I think we make a really big mistake when we don't realize how many times God answers prayers and how many times we don't thank him for what he has done by answering those prayers. And so that's one of the things that I learned um, from doing this, um, this notebook, and I still have it today. And, and as I was preparing for this message, I actually went and looked, and the first entry was in 1988. And that says I must be getting kind of old. So as I looked at that today... Um, I wanted us to realize that we've actually had a prayer team here at this church for a long time. And as we came back and we started realizing that that place where we were at Calvary was not where we probably should have been, we started praying to God about where we should go. 
And so you guys are sitting here in a place where God said you need to be. And there are people in this room right now who will remember when we purchased this ground, the prayer team went from Calvary on the south side, and we came here, and we got in a big circle, and we prayed over this place that was going to now be called Crossroads, and we prayed, Father, just bring new families here. Father, help us to be a church that can be a blessing to Norwalk, to the south side of Des Moines, and anybody who needs to find a place that they can call their church home. So that's kind of how we got started. And so I wanted to take just a second. I actually had a college English professor who beat into us in class that if you don't know a word, look it up. And so I went to Webster's and looked up the definition of prayer. And so Webster's Dictionary says, prayer is a request or a plea, make a request in a humble manner to address God. Now get this, this floored me, because I, in my entire lifetime, I have never looked up the word prayer. Address God with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. To address God in a word or thought, the act or practice of praying to God had no clue that acts was in the definition of prayer. And I had actually been taught that in a Sunday school class a hundred years ago to use the acts method of prayer. And when people know that you are part of a prayer team, a lot of times you get asked to pray. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation. I've been at wedding receptions. I've been at large family gatherings and the patriarch or the matriarch is going, need somebody to pray. Gary, come up here and pray. I get, asked, I get asked that a lot. And so what I do is I flash the ACTS acronym through my brain. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Depending on the situation, I, may, I might kind of take the confession part out a little bit. But I think that is a really good acronym to learn and to use. Now, I'm going to jump back just real quickly into Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And this is something that I honestly didn't know. If you look at Genesis 4.26, there's actually a reference there that says God's first people were not called Jews or Hebrews, but their original name was those who call on the name of the Lord. He was known as more than just their creator, but one who cares and responds to the needs of his people. I didn't know that was there. So even back in Genesis, there was those who called upon him and those who did not. And painfully, just like today. And so I want to, and so I want to fast forward just real quickly. So may, I can't see too well. How many of you in the congregation have read Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire? Can I just see a show of hands? Quite a few. That's awesome. So at the very beginning of that book, there's a young man by the name of Pastor Jim Sabala who gets called to go to this church in Brooklyn, New York called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's a failing. It's a small they have no people, they have no money, they have no hope. 
And so he's doing everything he can to try to get this church to move forward. And so he gets into a position where he kind of has a breakdown. He gets into a position where he comes before the congregation and he says, people, I have no idea what to do. And so he actually ends up getting sick and he and his wife decide that a valuable thing to do and maybe for him to go on a vacation. And so he goes to Florida out on a fishing boat. And on that fishing boat, he goes to the back of the boat and he breaks down again. And he just says, Lord, I don't know what to do. I think you got the wrong guy. I can't do this at this church. It's too hard. And at that moment, he hears... Pastor Simbala, if you will lead my people to pray and call upon my name, you will never lack for anything that you need. He knew 1,000% that he had heard from God to go back to his church to teach his people how to pray. And so he did. He comes back and he says, I've heard this is what we need to do. And now I want to just take a real quick jump into Mark eleven fifteen through 18, where Jesus gets angry. We all know the story. He comes in, he makes a whip, he starts thrashing tables There were people that were buying and selling, and we all know what he says. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, and you are making it a den of robbers. So the main point to me is, and the question is, are we a house of prayer? Are we leading people to pray? And the thing that I think is so important in that message part that that God said to Jim was, if, so it's conditional, if you teach my people to pray, and if you teach them to call upon my name, then some amazing things will happen. So why do we pray and what is the heart is at the heart of the prayer of heart of prayer? And, and, and Stephanie, thank you, because this is really what you shared this morning. Prayer is a collective and intimate relationship with God. Talking to him should be as natural and easy as breathing. He created us to be in a relationship with him, not just on Sundays, but all the time. He's always glad to hear from us. He's always eager to participate in the process of prayer. And prayer should be a conversation that goes on all day long. And so the thing that I have been taught in the last couple of years, and so a lot of the parts of this message are things that I've learned and I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't know, is how to focus on gratitude. One of our prayer team members always starts his prayers on Wednesday night with, Father God, I thank you for the air we breathe. I thank you for the food that we get to eat. I thank you for a home that we get to go to bed in. I thank you for all the things that Stephanie shared before she did that song this morning. 
And one of the things that I have learned as I've gotten older is to be grateful and thankful for those things that I get to do. You go, oh my gosh, I got to mow the yard again. Oh my gosh, I got to go out and shovel again. And now there's been a transformation where I go, Lord, thank you that I have grass that I get to mow. And thank you, God, that I have snow that I get to shovel. I'm going to tell you a really awkward story, and, and I apologize for it because it's a little tough, but Jen and I have a new two-year-old Vishla puppy. Her name is Ruby, and she is the most beautiful, kind, sweet thing you have ever seen. When she was six months old, she ate a two-inch sewing pin. And take her to the vet, do the scans. You can see it right in the middle of her stomach. And the vet turned to me and he said, we got to go in and get it out, but I've got to tell you 50-50 chance that she will survive. And so I drop her off, go home, and I got to do something because I'm going crazy. So I I go out in the yard and I start cleaning up dog droppings. And I'm looking at those dog droppings and I'm going... This may be the last time I get to do that. And right then and there, I said, God, if you will allow her to survive, I will never, ever complain about having to clean up dog droppings again. Because what that means is I have a beautiful, sweet, kind little puppy dog. And so this was a tough gig because my Norwalk vet opened her up, incision like that, opened up her stomach, Hours later, he calls me up, and he goes, I am so sorry. And I went, she's dead. And he goes, couldn't find the needle. He goes, I think you need to take her to a place called Blue Pearl on the north side. So I go get her. She's shaking. She's terrified. She's barely stand. I take her to Blue Pearl. Same thing. They open her up. They can't find the needle. The needle, when they opened her up, pushed up into her esophagus, So finally what they did was they put her on a table where they could x-ray her and watch as this happened, but they couldn't find it through her stomach. So this little six-month-old had been through two major surgeries. And finally the vet goes, the guy who does our endoscopy going into, you know, they've got a machine or a device that they can go down through and try to find stuff. He goes... I had a little bit of training on that in vet school, so I thought I'd give that a shot. That was her only hope. So he did that, found the two-inch pin in her esophagus, pulled it out, sews her back up, calls me, says, 50-50 shot that she survives. And so I'm just, again, mortified and going through all this agony and stuff. And then the next day they called me and they said, she's not eating would you come and sit with her to see if you can get her to eat? So I took a can of food. I went with her. She could barely walk. She was just shaking. She looked horrible. She came and she sat on my lap, and I opened up the food, and I gave her probably a piece the size of a walnut. She could barely get that down, and then she fell asleep in my lap for two hours. And about 9 or 10 o'clock, they came, and they said, you need to leave. We'll keep you posted. So praise God, she survived. And honestly, now when I go out to clean up my yard, I go, Lord, thank you that I get to clean up this yard. 
And so I've learned about gratitude. I've learned about recording gratitude. I've learned about praying gratitude. Um, Last week at prayer team, as we were leaving the church, there was the most spectacular sunrise off to the west. And then Carrie was walking out ahead of me, and she pointed to the east, and there was this unbelievable moonrise. And she and I just go, thank you, God, for what you've created. So I want to show you just real quick a cartoon that I saw. Um, that card, Is it here? This may be a little bit snarky, but I got a big kick out of this. Dear God, it was a beautiful sunset today. The clouds with the red and the orange and the purple and the yellow and the colors that were so vivid. Man, you've got some crazy Photoshop skills. I live in Photoshop, and so that made... That kind of made my day when I saw that. So prayer is a doorway to a deep and a satisfying relationship with our Father. So how do we get to know God? How do we get started with how do we know God? So we make time. Go someplace where you can be alone. Go someplace where you have a secret prayer closet. Go someplace where you can ask just to be in the presence of our Father in Matthew 14, 23, there's a place where, we all know the story, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's casting out demons, he's dealing with religious leaders. And guess what? At the end of the day, he's probably really tired, and what does he do? He says, you know what? I want to go someplace where I can be alone with my father. So he goes up to the mountaintop, and he spends the nighttime praying with his father. So I'm going to ask you to think about your own kids as parents. There is nothing more important to you than spending time with your kids, hearing from your kids, sharing in their lives, answering questions, providing help, providing direction. We love to listen, to watch, to encourage, to love on them. And we all know this, no matter what? They are always your kids. It's the same with God. God loves to hear from you. He loves to hear your stories. He loves to hear your wins, your challenges, your losses, everything that's happened in your life. So I have another maybe awkward story, and some of you in here will get it, but I lost my dad in 2009 to Parkinson's, and my dad was an avid, avid, avid outdoorsman. And a couple of years ago, after taking an okay, respectable archery deer, I actually took the antlers to my dad's graveside, and I sat down on his graveside, and I just talked with him. I still want to talk with him. I still want to get his advice. I still want to hear his laugh. I still want to hear him say, wow, that's a great bag of mushrooms you found. When we look at David in the Psalms, he goes to God all the time. He goes with his doubts, his fears, his sins, his confusion. When he's happy, when everything is good, when everything is not good, when he's scared, when he's confused, when he's in trouble, when he's hungry, he goes to God all the time. One of the problems that we get hung up on is a lot of times we think we have to earn it. 
We think we have to do something that allows us to come before a holy God. A lot of us feel unworthy. A lot of us think we have no right to come before God. And I'm saying don't let that happen. The devil will say, you're a sinner. You're no good. Remember when you did that? Remember when you thought that? Remember when you said that? You have no right to come before a holy God. Or he will say, don't call, don't ask, don't depend on him. You will be fine. Do it on your own power. Do it on your own cleverness. You can handle it. And I'm saying, people, let's not listen to that lie. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And I think we need to understand that Easter is something that happens all year long. If we look at Hebrews 10.19 through 22, it says, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Folks, this is Easter. This is what was purchased for us on the cross. It's not just one Sunday out of the year. It's every day, all year long, to understand what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so, as we work on that relationship with God, we have to understand that there's an ebb and flow of this intimacy, and we have a big part of that. What happens if we don't spend time with our spouse? What happens if we don't spend time with our children? What happens if we don't take care of, put whatever you want in there? The relationship will dry up. It's much like a garden where, for those of you that grow a garden, we know that the soil has to be worked. It has to be watered. It has to be added nutrients to it. It has to be planted and weeded and taken care of. If not, what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. So we need to understand that the basis for our prayer life We go, but we also have to understand that it's all him. So how do we do that? What do we do? Well, number one, we start with studying the scripture. Study his word. Find a church where you can worship, where you can serve, because we as believers in Christ were meant to be in community. I've had people say, I believe, I believe. I don't need to be a part of a church. I believe. That's all I need. Well, folks, there's more than that. So if we look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, one of the things that is part of this relationship is there's stuff that we're supposed to do. So in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, it is for by grace that you have been saved, not through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works that he has prepared in advance 
for us to do. Every one of us has been built to do something for the kingdom of God. So my question is, we need to ask that question. What has he been asking us to do? What does he ask us to be a part of that can be a blessing to somebody else around us? So if we go back to Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, there's a, an area in there where it says, how do we treat the desperate? How do we treat those, and you've read the word, that are in the salt mines, those that are struggling, those that are hurting, those that need a hand from God, and maybe that comes from us to do that work that he has called us to do. So my question for me is, if, as I look at 1 Timothy 2.1, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So, difficult question. Who in your sphere of influence is unlovable? Who in your sphere of influence needs the grace and mercy and kindness of Jesus Christ. And how can we help that person go from where they are currently to where God wants them to be? So, where does power come from in our prayer life? And we all know it starts with his word. Incredible wisdom comes from studying his word. Question for me is, how many times have you been in a place in life where you go into your study room, you open your Bible, just at random, and you start reading, and you go, whoa, that's exactly where I am right now, and that's exactly what I need at this moment. So, folks, please understand, and I don't know the exact numbers, but there are, I think, somewhere between five and 10,000 promises from God to God's people. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask and I will, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. James 4, 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. Jeremiah 33 says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Psalm fifty fifteen says, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Six times in the upper room, Jesus tells his disciples, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And so my question is, does that mean that we can ask whatever we want, whenever we want, all about me? No. It's about asking what Jesus wants for the things that he wants to do. So ask in Jesus' name about those things that he cares about. If not for the power of his word, many of us would not feel that we can overcome our weaknesses and our inadequacies and our failures. And we need to understand that God loves us in spite of us. His word teaches us that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. So do you know why he says in his word east and west instead of north and south? He says east and west because you can't ever get there. You start going east, you're always going east. You start going west, you're always going west. In his wisdom, he removes them that far away you can never get there. If he would have said north or south, guess what? 
you can get there. I can get to the North Pole. I can get to the South Pole. <clears throat> but that's why he says that. So I encourage all of us to develop a secret prayer chamber where you can go, a hidden room where you can study and pray and not be distracted by anything else. Understand that your strength comes from, in John fifteen five. it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Our strength comes from Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to give you those things that you need. Allow him to enact the spiritual gifts that he has given to you. Why? So those gifts can build up his church. Focus on praise and gratitude. Paul says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, even when it's tough, even when we don't understand. Father, I don't understand, but you know what? I trust you. Tell God who he is and all that he's done and understand that sometimes the answer could be no. I want to, I apologize. I've shared this story many times in my lifetime, but in a former life, I was a prison guard. And one of the days when I was out, I had yard duty and I was walking around, a young man came up to me and he just started talking to me about life. And he goes, Officer Messer, the thing that I've learned since I've been in here, and he was in on a 10-year, called it a dime. A nickel was a five-year, a dime was a 10-year, whatever. And he goes, there was nobody in my lifetime that ever loved me enough to tell me no. So parents, when your kids want to do something stupid and you say no, it's because you love them. Don't be afraid of no. We, we, we've seen the story about Will Keeps, the guy who runs that alternative shoot school that was shot. I listened to an interview with him. He's a former gang member. And he said he and his wife have really had to focus on how to teach their kids no. Can't do that. You're going to get in trouble. It's just like having a two-year-old and saying, don't go out and put your hand on a hot stove because you're going to get hurt. The other thing that we need to understand is that sin hinders our prayers. This is a huge reality that most of us don't like to know. In Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and he has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his, head, his love from me. Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. One of the things that, that happened to me when I began my path as a manager was I went to a, a Dale Carnegie leadership course and in that course they taught the mantra, it was called the three C's and they said, don't condemn, don't criticize and don't complain and don't gossip. Because if we do that, we just add fuel to a, an ember that could become a raging fire. So try not to do that. And the other thing is, don't get caught up in what others are doing. Um, I've read books where it says, oh my gosh, you need to pay, pray for three hours at a time. Even in Fresh Wind, they say that they pray all night long. Well, I can't do that. And I go through our prayer list almost every day. And a lot of days, it may only be 15 or 20 minutes. But the thing is, I pray all day long. 
I think about prayers. You know, when somebody crosses my mind, I'm driving and I'm praying for that person. Um, So don't worry about what others are doing. Worry about what God has told you to do. Maybe you're out plowing and you're praying as you're plowing. Maybe you're riding your horses and you're praying as you're riding your horses. Um, I spend a lot of time in the woods and I spend most of that time praying, thanking God for what I get to see and what I get to hear and what I get to smell. So I want to go back just real quickly to Easter and thinking about Peter the night that Jesus was arrested And he crumbles. Three times he denies even knowing the Lord. And then, after Pentecost, we see in Acts 4, where Peter and John, who were unjustly arrested and imprisoned, were told by the Pharisees and the Sadducees never to speak of this Jesus person again. And they left there, and they went to a prayer meeting to be infused with fresh power. So the focus of that is when in trouble, pray, when intimidated, pray, when challenged, pray, when persecuted, pray. They asked for strength to hit the situation head on. And when I was preparing, I was um, going through a lot of uh, verses in my Bible. And in that section in Acts 4, where it talks about Peter and John and what they were doing, there's a footnote that I found very interesting. It says, notice how the believers prayed. First, they praised God. Then they told God their specific problem or need, and they asked for his help. They did not ask God to remove the problem, but to help them deal with it. This is a model for us today to teach us how to pray. And I think a big part of that is just really the focus on praising God and knowing that he's going to help you get through that situation. I will never forget Stephanie, when you talked about the night after the tornado, how hard that was, but all you could do was praise God for the blessings that he did, keeping all of your horses safe, all of the good things that came out of that. And so that was a model for us all to follow. A number of years ago, um, I was in, in my office, and I had to promote somebody who would become a mid-level manager. And I probably shouldn't use her name here, so I'm just going to refer to her as Carrie. And so Carrie comes into my office, and she's furious with me. She is yelling and screaming at me because I did not promote her to this position. And guys, I was terrified. I sat down at my desk, and I'm like, I don't know what to do here. So I prayed a silent prayer at that moment. I said, Father, I need your help. I don't know what to do. What do I do? This lady was on fire. And as clear as day, he said, Randy, speak truth in love. And so I literally went to Carrie and I said, time out. I said, I don't think you realize, number one, what this entails. Your gift mix does not fit this situation. I've thought about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. I put the person in there that I believed was the right person. We talked about it for the next 10 minutes. And this lady turns to me and she goes, oh my gosh, 
your right. She got up, left my office, never spoke of it again. I sat down and I went, thank you, God, for answering that prayer at that moment. Now, I'm going longer than I should be, so I'm going to try to get through this last section very quickly. Um, One of the things that I've just learned, and I'm almost a little embarrassed that I didn't know this, but so what's the relationship between heaven and your prayers? Um, What's the relationship and what's the significance of incense that was asked to be put into the temple temple and when the temple was built? So if I look at Exodus 37 and 8, it says, Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense. There shall be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So I read that and I go, why? Then I go to Luke 1, 8 through 11. And this is Zechariah the priest who was actually the father of John the Baptist. He was chosen by Lot to go in and burn incense before the Lord. At the whole time that he was doing, I'm just paraphrasing, the people were in prayer. In Psalms 141.2, David says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. In Deuteronomy 33, it says, As Levi is offering incense before you, he teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. So guys, there is a very significant importance to incense. Burning incense is the ritual embodiment of prayer for the nation of Israel, which was the defining characteristic of the Old Testament priesthood. Why? So in one of the books that we just went through, there was a whole section on there that says, because the Lord not only hears, he sees, and he smells the prayers of his people. So, what is the significance of prayer in heaven? In Revelation 5, and I'm going to paraphrase again because, I'm again, I'm running long here. In um, Revelation 5, it says, talks about the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. In Revelation 8, it talks about it talks about the seals and the golden censers and the importance of them. And it says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Three, an angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer, which with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of all of God's people went up before God in the angel's hands. And so one of the verses that I use all the time is the armor of God. And I'm not going to go through that. I'm just going to go to the end of it. We know what it is. You put on all of this armor to protect you and to help you. When we go to verse 18, it says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. 
Now, some of those translations says praying for all the saints. So my question is, who are the saints? You are. All of you are the saints. How important is prayer? Prayer is so important that God shuts down the heavens to receive the prayers of all of his people. So that tells me it's pretty important. So as we conclude today, I just want to ask a couple of questions. We need to pray. We need to nurture that relationship with our Father in heaven and figure out a way that that works best for us. We need to understand that point that says, teach your people to pray and to call upon my name. We need to be infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be ready to love the unlovable. We need to be ready to do what God has called us to do. Perhaps it's the Nama in Norwalk where there's people who need food and clothing. Perhaps it's somebody in your sphere that's unlovable. Perhaps it's teaching a class or serving, helping, coaching. Draw the line, put it in where you want. But people, it all starts with prayer. And so, Father God, I just want to close right now and say thank you for this body of believers called Crossroads Church. I thank you for the air we breathe, the food we eat, the homes that we get to live in, the jobs that provide our sustenance. I ask that you would bless Mark. I ask that you would bless all of our staff. I ask that you would take care of our volunteers, take care of our families. But most importantly, Lord, may we be known as a house of prayer. May we be known as a place that is about love. We will not be afraid of something that's different. We will not be afraid of a challenge that you put before this because your word says we are here to love everybody. And so, Father God, I give you praise, honor, and glory for who you are and all you do. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.